The Space Case Sarah Show with space nerds Kobe and Benjamin. Who is Space Case Sarah? Spunky, edgy, smart, funny, and a rebel feminist. Now, witness it yourself on iRock Space Radio. Hello, space enthusiasts, and welcome to another episode of the Space Case Sarah Show with the space nerds, Kavi Rose and Benjamin Salas. Welcome, gentlemen. Again, we are recording before Artemis's launch. Now we know that it was going to maybe happen on Friday. We know now it's going to be Saturday, and uh, we are still eagerly anticipating that at the time of this recording. Fingers crossed. I did see some rumor on the ground that weather is still kind of not looking super favorable for the weekend. But selfishly, if it gets delayed to October, I'm not super opposed. I don't know how you guys feel. Not opposed at all. Uh, Safety first. And making sure they don't launch while I take my son on a Cub Scout trip second. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Because you're going to miss it. Uh, I wouldn't be able to make it either way, but I just feel bad for the folks who have to go out there every time. It's like, okay, wake up at one in the morning after sleeping for half an hour, get jacked on coffee and like drive down there through the crowd, through the traffic. It's like, oh, wait, no, not yes, then, like, Never mind. It was just another trip to the ocean side views. <laughs> yeah. I know. I agree. Safety first. It is obviously important to, uh, keep that perspective but i'm being very selfish yeah i'm like well i couldn't go to the first one because of my kids what is it with these kids they're the future they're the future kids of our space industry why are we we're neglecting <laughs> our love and passion for space for them fine uh we have really 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 big space news that came from the james webb telescope like Within the past 24 hours, Kavi, have you seen it? He's looking confused. I'm, I'm like, it's morning here. Rings around it. it was great. You don't know. He doesn't know yet. He, he doesn't know. <gasps> Are we talking about the Wolf Rayet star with the shockwaves? No, yes. but that is a cool thing. Uh, it took a picture of the first exoplanet directly ever. Oh, that. that news. That was more than 24 yeah. hours ago. Was it more than 24 hours ago? Well, then I lied and uh, you do know about it. So, but that is really big news since we first last recorded that uh, <laughs> James Webb has taken a direct photo of a gas giant exoplanet. It's, and it's, called, it's phenomenal to me. <sighs> it is. HIP 65426 <laughs> it's a very romantic name. <laughs> Seriously, yes. H I X P S T F. Yeah, I knew one, him one, well. One, number, number, number. <laughs> well, speaking of episodes, this is the, what is it, Boron episode? Yes, it is. And it is uh, we're, boron we're actually, Boron, we're going to talk about names and the history of NASA and their Greek mythology names and the hidden meaning of the names and stuff like that. So that was, uh, speaking of names, that's what we're going to talk about. Let's talk about Boron. Boron? Boron? Boron. Boron. Do we have a fun fact from Fun Fact Science about our element of the episode week? There, there are a lot of uh, useful uh, cases for, for Boron. There was nothing that was a super fun fact that I could find this week, mm. except I did find an article 
a scientific paper that was titled Boron is not boring. <laughs> and <laughs> and I'm sticking with that. All right. It is not boring. Although he can't tell you why, because all sources seem to point to the fact that it is indeed not that exciting to talk about. But did you have maybe another fun fact you'd like to share with us? Do you know anything about, say, the this giant gas planet that James Webb took a picture of? Is there anything like interesting that maybe I didn't catch in the little news release that you know? Am I putting you on the spot? So- with with this with this uh, uh, exoplanet, um, it's super interesting. But I actually wanted to talk about the exoplanet that was discovered a few days earlier, where they actually were able to detect carbon dioxide in the atmosphere yes. of an exoplanet with James Webb. That, to me, I mean, it's you know, you're talking about a planet that's a little bit closer. I think it's orbiting a star that's about 700 light years away, and using uh, spectroscopy, right, where you break down the light coming from. Uh, you know, a distant star, it's, they're able to detect individual chemical elements in the atmosphere of this exoplanet. And so to see that we're, you know, we're, we're seeing carbon dioxide, something that we associate with light here on Earth, on an mm-hmm. exoplanet, hundreds of light years away, that to me is just even more mind blowing. Yeah, it is a very strong biomarker, for sure, of something to look for in the atmosphere of other planets. And for Mm -hmm. those who don't know what a biomarker means, it just means that it is something that could indicate the presence of a Mm -hmm. biological thing that might be there. Um, A perfect example of that would have been that paper that came out about phosphine in the atmosphere of Venus, which, as far as we understand here on Earth, it either is something that is a waste product of a living biological organism or we lab create it, but otherwise we have no knowledge of how that can be created either way from those two ways. And so basically what's really interesting to me about not just Venus, but also like that carbon dioxide thing is that it's, it's two, it, there's two routes of how this could go and either super cool is either it does mean there's maybe evidence for or suggesting that there could be life or chemistry works in a way that we don't fully understand yet under very different conditions. And so either way, those are both very interesting avenues. Um, so as far as we understand, good science is using what we understand and how things are studied here on Earth. But, you know, who knows? Who knows what, what's waiting for us to discover out there? Benjamin, what do you have for us today? Good sir, bringer of uh, knowledge mm. and wisdom and whiskey. <laughs> <Cool. laughs> uh, I wish I had some of those. Um, <laughs> we can make see, the whiskey um, happen later. <laughs> yeah, maybe later. I could use it. I think um, we're gonna. This should be airing on September tenth. So I'd like to say happy birthday to. Mike Mullane, Richard, nicknamed Mike Mullane, NASA astronaut, one of three shuttle flights, including the very first flight of Discovery, and scientist Carl Mosander, who discovered the elements, since we love elements. He discovered lanthanum, erbium, and terbium. And one more science birthday was for Stephen Jay Gould, the paleontologist and evolutionary biologist. And he has an encyclopedic knowledge of the history of baseball. And when he talks about it, he speaks about baseball <laughs> like a poet. And that's and, it. And that's <laughs> your birthday. thing, too. 
<laughs> yes, happy <laughs> birthday like to them. Cool. If when your uh, bios and pictures get up on our show webpage, you actually in your biography wrote a whole uh, thing about the speed of a baseball and how much like kinetic yes. energy or something like that it, it, it needs. So that was a... Right. I, that was a good tie-in right there to your own interests as a science communicator as well. So <laughs> friendly reminder, you can find this show and our webpage for it on irockspaceradio.com. If you happen to be streaming through the website, great, awesome. Hope you signed up for the crew club and be sure to check out the other shows that we have on this station, including Ashley First, who is just a lovely human and she does our news and weather reports right after this show so stick around when this is done to hear uh what the rovers are dealing with on mars currently um and then my lovely co-hosts also have their own sci-com platforms it's fun fact science with kavi and that's on all the social media platforms and then science actually or actually science depending on the platform with benjamin and uh he likes to drop lots of uh, interesting facts. It's uh, I like it because it's very um, attention grabbing instead of just like blah, 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 blah. I have a tendency to do that sometimes where my my facts all of a sudden it's like four paragraphs long and I'm like, I don't think anyone's probably going to read that at this point. But uh, that's what I do. It's really hard to put a science fact into meme form. You yes. have maybe 10, 14 really words tough. tops that you can try to convey a message with. And I got so much flack from so many fans that I'm just teasing them or not explaining things fully and there's more information. So now when I post all these science memes, you can see in the comment the full description of what it is mm. and, of course, links to whatever sources I'm trying to cite so you can get the whole shebang. So I'm not going to leave you hanging with astronomical scintillation. You can actually go and read the entire article about what it means and why planets don't shimmer and why stars do and so on. Sure. But... <laughs> I actually got called out by my academic advisor for using the word scintillation, uh, using the word scintillating as, as an adjective rather than mm -hmm. an astronomical term. Like the universe has a scintillating smorgasbord of sights for us to see <laughs> in every direction. And she's like, do you mean scintillating or do you just mean like there's a lot of them? <laughs> <laughs> that's a unique call out i was gonna i was gonna comfort you a little bit benjamin and say that there's always you know what is what is the saying like opinions are like assholes and everybody has them but it's true like in this in this public platform sphere everyone has an opinion of how they want things to sound how they want things to look who they think is the right person for this and eventually what i have come to this happy place is is that i make content and I put it out there what I like. And if I mm -hmm. like it, then that's enough because yeah. you cannot, you cannot win them all. And I have found please, everyone. No, especially the astronomy physics kind of world. People can get really persnickety about what oh. they, uh, what they think. And so in this newer era of us, psychomers, we're like, you know what, we're, we're doing what we like and what we think will, uh, will work. But if it doesn't, I, I was telling this to someone else recently that, it's okay for it to flop. Like it really is okay to post something. And if it doesn't go over well, it flops. Great. Mm -hmm. Move on. Just keep, just keep making it, just keep going it, going at it because this just even like you guys joining me in this, um, just showing up is like 70% of the battle. 
just doing yeah. the thing and putting yourself out there. So many people are so worried about the feedback and just do it. Just do it. Sorry, Nike, I'm stealing your slogan, but just do it. So like um, if people Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just gonna say, like if, if people don't don't like, you know, if they're not if they're not resonating with the particular content that um, you know, one of us is creating, I'm sure that there's somebody else out there who's creating content that they will resonate with, you know? Absolutely. Like, we live in a really blessed age of just a, an absolute wealth of science communicators all doing mm-hmm. different things in different ways. You'll find somebody else out there who's doing something that you'll really vibe with. And yeah. so, mm-hmm. yeah, like people who are like, oh, no, why don't you do content like this? Why don't you do content like that? It's like, I'm sure you can find someone who fills those needs. Good luck with it. Right. I'm doing my thing. And if not, it's easy for you to just go out there and make your own. Exactly. It's, uh, there you go. It's a very yeah. awesome platform uh, we have and out I- there. Exactly. And I would have to say that it is really a lot of other content creators that have given me the courage to just go and do my own unique thing too. Um, Hank Green comes to mind in particular because he had like all these awesome shows on, on NPR that, um, you know, were on YouTube of like understanding chemistry and, and blah, blah, blah. And like, in, when you see those, he's, he's got this very professional demeanor and he's behind a desk and like, it's got this look, right. But then, Bounce over to his TikTok and he is, you know, he's using the trending sounds and, um, you know, making up like little raps and, and using explicit language. And it's hilarious. And I'm like, man, you like the, you're the same person. So <laughs> it's really, it's, it's really, I think it is. Yeah. A, a new, uh, inspiring time to have just so many different varieties of how people share content. And, uh, mm-hmm. like I said, Benjamin, yours is one of those ways of a visual medium. So we're going to wrap up this first segment and we're going to talk about the history of NASA and how they choose their names. And this is going to go really into Greek and Roman mythology. Uh, But I think that it's so cool that so many missions have so many nuanced layer meanings behind the names. And Mm -hmm. I love that sometimes it takes a little bit of digging to get to that, that interesting story or that interesting factor. You might need to know an engineer on the inside who knows why something was done, or you could be a complete uh, nerd like Benjamin and figure out how to create your own code for a parachute, just like (laughs) perseverance parachute. But like, that was one of the things that it's just, they could have just sent a parachute, right? They could have just, sent a rover down with a normal red and white parachute but no no they specially made a coded message and i think that's just so unique and so we're gonna look at some of that stuff and talk about it and uh yeah you are listening to the space case sarah show with space nerds kavi and benjamin here on irock space radio Welcome back to the Space Case Sarah Show with Kavi and Benjamin, my space nerds extraordinaires. We're talking about the history of NASA and the names of these rockets and these missions and these rovers and uh, satellites. They often have names that are also based in Greek Greek mythology. And I'm going to share a story of why I wanted to... uh, do this episode it actually is rooted in my real life and if he's listening to this thank you brian 
Um, <laughs> I was diving this past weekend and I met someone new for the first time and his, he works in the space industry and his son's name is Apollo. And so he says like, oh, my wife says like, pick up Apollo. And I was like, wait, wait, beep, beep, time out. I was like, is this, is this a pet or, you know, and he's like, no, that's my son's name. And I was like, huh. And in passing, um, Brian was like, man, you really dropped the ball and uh, not naming your daughter uh, Delphi. And I just, it just like whoop went over my head. I just didn't even, I didn't even uh, think what he, you know, I didn't know what he was talking about. So <laughs> the next morning he calls me and he's like, you don't know what I was referencing to you. And I was like, I guess I don't. He's like, you've, you've never heard of the Delphi method. And I'm like, um, nope, that Every one I might not <laughs> do you not know either? <laughs> no, I was just trying to make it, Jason. Do you not know the Delphi method? And I'm like, oh yeah, I hear about it every day at the Super Bowl. Yeah, right. I know, right? Like, who... okay. And so, not also, a good by joke. the way, poorly timed. I'm sorry. This totally man is like, he is a wealth of obscure knowledge. And so he's, and the, but he'll also be like, how do you not know this? And I'm like, who does know this? Like, just randomly, like the Delphi method, blah, blah, blah. So then we went on to like about an hour conversation about this. And this is why, um, this is why we're a match made in heaven. So anyway, the, uh, the Delphi method though, is, you know, basically a thought process, if you will, where say, um, to use his example, say, uh, like we're going to grow a plant on Mars. They'll pool together everyone that has some sort of level of expertise on that. And then they think about like, how feasible is this and what would we need to do? And basically they apply the scientific method with their own individual things, but that. Delphi in Greek mythology was an oracle. She was a, you know, someone who predicted the future. And so I was like, oh, the, the, the meaning, the nuance behind that is so beautiful. Uh, Kavi shared with us something, a really cool fact. Can you share that? That the thing you shared in that chat? Oh, the thing about Delphi? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was lucky enough to be in Delphi um, in Greece this time last year. Um, we went with my wife for anniversary and it's incredible that like, it's this tiny thing on a mountaintop, like three, four hours drive out of Athens where back in the day, dignitaries and, you know, all of, all of the people who are high up in ancient Greek society, um, used to come up to this mountain. So it probably would have taken like days for them to do the trek up there to hear the Oracle, right? To, to get the Oracle's advice. And what's crazy is that the Oracle and all of the uh, nuns, um, like all young women who lived there would actually save and, and kind of catalog all the information they would get from all the visiting dignitaries and they would chisel it into the stone. So when you go to Delphi and you see the remains of the buildings there, the majority of the bricks, these like giant, you know, meter by meter bricks have little Greek letters carved into every inch of them. It's kind of like Wikipedia, but like set in stone, literally. <laughs> and so, so and it's kind of like it added to the mystery and, and, and this kind of like uh, mystical nature of Delphi. It's like you're going to see the Oracle in this middle of nowhere place on the top of a mountain. How does she know about, you know, um, the drama happening between the king and queen of some like Mycenaean, uh, you know, Greek island in the middle of nowhere. It's because they're writing down everything that they were hearing from the other people. Anyway, super fascinating place. If you ever make it to Greece, highly recommend going super to Delphi. Super fascinating. I know. And, and I just thought that that's such a, 
uh, you know, such a cool thing that they obviously cherished, which was documenting knowledge and just information. And, and so I think it, I think it's very fitting that, that our space programs then decided to use names of these people and what was important to them for our space programs for this adventure into the stars. And also, of course, you know, we still call all the planets and, um, you know, constellations after these civilizations. So I think that there's also a logical kind of reason to to do that as well because when i did some digging around on this there really isn't a concrete point where someone was like this is how we're gonna do it this is how we're gonna name everything going forward um it was just a a hold on let me find it his name abe silverstein abe silverstein silverstein Excuse me. It, it um, might be Stein. I'm actually not. It sure. is Stein but, yeah. if you're saying it like the German pronunciation. But anyway, um, <laughs> so there's actually a conflicting story. He, you know, he said that maybe it was because you know the name of gods in ancient Greek mythology with attraction connotations, um, you know, basically would catch the public's interest. Like there's a story mm-hmm. that says that that's his logic is that he was like, oh, the, you know, huh. like, these are this is what's going to capture America's interest and attention because at that time obviously we were in a very heated space race space race against the the russians but then there's also another story that's like no he just kind of was like oh i thought it was cool you know like um (laughs) that there wasn't that much thought so i don't know (laughs) i heard so i had heard that abe had actually and i mean abe was uh, one like the the really important engineers in the not just the early days of nasa but the early days of the uh, the NACA, which was the preceding, mm-hmm. I think I got the acronym mm-hmm. right, preceding yep. organization yep. before NASA. Um, and what I had heard was that he suggested like both Mercury and Apollo for the uh, mythical connotations that, you know, Mercury was this messenger to the God with winged feet. And so it made sense, like, you know, winged feet flying across the sky. And then Apollo as well. It's like, you know, Apollo and his chariot flying across the sun, which I guess was something that NASA was trying to not do in terms of like launching mm-hmm. rockets at the sun <laughs> but like not a good idea but prob- yeah. not yeah best not but i think i think also like at the time all of the rockets um so like the satin i was looking into this and it was kind of like one of those magical handkerchiefs so you keep pulling on it and you keep finding like just more and more like <laughs> right. it's like why why was that named after a greek thing well i think it was because you know satin five was named that way as well and they're like well wait why was saturn 5 named that well it was because of previous saturn missions and the saturn missions were named after the jupiter missions and the jupiter missions were named after the atlas missions you know all of these ancient names which at the at a certain point you're dating back to like naming for intercontinental ballistic missiles that were designed by Werner von braun in the 50s in the you know the start of the cold war so Mm -hmm. i think they're all tied into that somehow it is. Mm-hmm. Yes, there's there's a lot of connection. And um, also what I had read as well was, yes, uh, like even choosing the name astronaut was right. done very intentionally because mm-hmm. of the like um, what the Russians were doing and how they were naming, you know, they're they're what we know now as cosmonauts. But, you know, uh, it was it, everything was done with some consideration of that time. And I think that that's such a unique thing to always remember about the birth of NASA <laughs> that, that they, you know, I think there was a good chunk of time where they tried to kind of almost sweep a lot of that under the rug and just kind of didn't want to fully acknowledge how much 
the Cold War had fueled it, but um, it really is a part of that history. And so I think it's important to remember that and to see it in parallel to what is happening today. <laughs> so anyway, Benjamin, I don't want to leave you out because I feel like we're kind of we're, we're gibbering and jabbering, but you also were talking about when we were plotting out this show, mm-hmm. all the other types of names that have been chosen for different things like the Beatles, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, there are, I mean, you could go out there and name everything after uh, Greek and Roman gods, but there are so many things out there, even though there's a lot of Greek gods and a lot of Roman gods and a lot of Norse gods, that you're going to run out of them immediately because there are so many things out there. So everything has funny little alphanumeric names, but once in a while, something of great, you know, popularity uh, gets its name cemented in space. So there's four asteroids in our asteroid belt of similar size all in a row. So they're John, Paul, George, and Ringo. Uh, <laughs> David Bowie passed. I think within a year of his passing, they named a constellation after him. It's a kind of shaped wow. like a little lightning bolt that goes across his face from uh, his Z Stardust days. Yeah. yeah. So there are other new names that go in there. A lot of Shakespeare characters. Mm-hmm. Are, yes. Have names of uh, Uranus. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's lots of other cool things. In the 1960s, NASA set up, um, excuse me, a naming committee to set forth some rules of how they're going to name missions. Uh, didn't mention anything about naming them after mythology or rock bands or anything like that. But the rules were the name has to be easy to say, and okay. the name can't sound like any other name that we give a name to a mission to, so they're easy to distinguish. Okay. And if possible, try to work the purpose of the mission into the name. So like hmm. the first satellite was Explorer because it's exploring that kind of thing. So okay. there were some three basic little rules that they came up with. <laughs> the three the three rules written in stone, if you will. Back in the 1960s. In, back in the 1960s. I also knew that there are rules in place for Venus and that mm-hmm. everything geographical on that planet has to be a female name because of the um, female identity that that planet mm-hmm. holds. That's awesome. So. Yeah, so every every like crater or mountain or anything, it has to have a, a feminine name. So um, that was like a rule set in place by who? I don't know. Like, is this like the mythology, like the the mythical librarian who will come after you for an overdue book, like in Seinfeld or something like that? Like, who's who's the enforcer of the name rules? Um, <laughs> there's got to be. I guess it's a reverence thing, right? It's a reverence mm-hmm. to the to the history of that. And speaking of history, also in researching for this episode, I had seen in an article a book listed, and I was like, published in 1975. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sound, you know, probably that interesting. But then I actually found the book, a PDF copy of all of it and uh i just shot the link to you guys before we hit record here mm-hmm. and even the cover you're kind of like oh yeah. my gosh it's like so 1960s nasa glory <laughs> it really actually like 10 out of 10 i kind of want to go find a hard copy of this now and add it to my library because you scroll 13 pages in and it's got uh a picture of goddard 
with the world's first liquid propellant rocket. And I mean, it looks like mm -hmm. a, it's not it's even like as tall as him. Gym. Yeah. <laughs> it's so cool. So anyway, the book is called Origins of NASA's Names. So um, it only goes up to 1975, <laughs> but it's really cool. If you're, if you're really into history and it does give a lot of background into like what you were saying, um, choosing, you know, Juno, or Thor, and then they show pictures from the Library of Congress of those gods and goddesses and like what the connection was and why they chose that particular god or goddess for uh, rockets and they have satellites and different mission projects. It's, you know, actually thinking this out to, man, there are so many names too. Like think of SLS alone. You know, mm -hmm. we have the Space Launch System. It's part of the Artemis program with the um, Orion capsule. You know what I mean? Like, there's so many names and uh, I guess I can't really believe that they really can enforce that the names can't be too similar and sound at this rate. You know what I mean? It, it, I think they, a lot of them do because NASA is just, they just love acronyms. And so they have lots of cool acronyms that almost spell words that explain what the mission do if you know what the acronym stands for but most people don't so a lot of missions just have these really cool acronym names and they kind of all just blend together as you know these are the, another acronym mission i think ultimately too they're just like what would look really cool on a patch yeah yes that sounds good <laughs> some some of them are actually really cool <laughs> like the, yeah, like, some the of wise mission. <laughs> yes the, yes the wise the wise mission is like you think oh it's the wise mission like learning about the universe like the i think it's the the wide field infrared survey explorer like the satellite taking you know scanning the entire sky in infrared and then the mission was basically you know dead after two years and they rejiggered the whole mission redesigned it and called it Neo-Wise, which I thought, oh, that's Latin. Mm -hmm. Like Neo-Wise, <laughs> the new wise. And then I found out that Neo-Wise was just because it's Neo. It's like near-Earth orbit. Like they're, they're looking for near-Earth orbit asteroids. Some of the acronyms are pretty cool. Honestly, yeah, in Some astronomy, we love acronyms. Yeah, I think that's a science thing in general. And uh, <laughs> side note, I, whenever I see that, I'm always like, meowsy. That's what I think meowsy. when I see that word, meowsy. We're going to need to take now on meowsy. <laughs> meowsy. Uh, we're going to take a quick mission. break. Coffee's <laughs> 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 dying now. Um, we're going to take a break. We'll finish up talking about names and history and NASA and Greek mythology and, and uh, all that fun stuff in the next segment however that flows and comes out so you're listening to this space case sarah show with the space nerds kavi and benjamin here on irock space radio welcome back to the space case sarah show with space nerds kavi and benjamin i have sort of a fun game that i've been playing with you both now over these past few episodes where uh, when I hit new recording, it sends you back out to our green room, our virtual green room, and then you have to let yourself back into the recording. And there's almost a race now to see who gets back first. And uh, I should maybe start keeping a tally count. I should keep a board. Please do, because that's this like should a be a game. This should be a sport, and someone we can have people bet on you. Um, <laughs> yeah, this this is a uh, this is maybe like from now until Christmas. I'm going to score who gets on okay. first. And so, then so far today, I don't know. Kyle we'll got to... one and I got one. So, all right. We started yeah, currently, who's on set. first? 
Uh, well, I'm, I just started this episode, so you're one and one. You're tied. I will, I will keep Benjamin this tallied. And I, I don't know what the prize or what the win or what, like, what the end goal of this will be. We'll figure that out and we'll let you, the listener, know. But let us know. Hashtag Team Kavi or hashtag Team Ben. You know what I mean? Like... Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> it's like that Captain America Iron Man thing. It's going to explode. It is on like Donkey Kong. <laughs> who gets back into the recording recording studio first oh uh we're talking about naming things and how nasa does such a great job with doing that but also i kind of want to touch about easter eggs too because i mentioned mm-hmm. in last week's recording i love that they'll put little nods of things on their spacecraft so they put a piece of the Wright brothers plane on ingenuity which is i think the second time they've actually done that i think they did that with another spacecraft as well um but then i does anyone know what else they have put on i I think now on on artemis they actually have a uh, like a bolt screw from the apollo 11 uh mission Really? really? Okay. And and that's the thing. So many of these things are so low key. You like you only know if you know someone who knows. Um for example, Sherlock, the instrument on perseverance, has to calibrate very frequently and it calibrates using this teeny tiny little maze that's on it and in the center of the maze is like the shape of the head of Sherlock, the the you know the the fictional character Sherlock and I learned this from an engineer who works on uh Perseverance when I did an anniversary recording episode and she told me yeah like it's really neat like it'll it'll calibrate and and it has this little Sherlock figurine or not figurine Uh, but you know what I mean like the head shape of it but I had to scour the internet and found one really cruddy photo of it this and so uh, the Mars rover curiosity and opportunity uh, every year that they're there, they sing themselves happy birthday. Uh, mm-hmm. People at JPL, of course, uh, they have all the different little gizmos and whatnot worrying just to do like a test spin. And there's a reason for it to help shake, create vibrations on, on the rover and shakes off dust and whatever. But they also paid attention to the fact that turning on each little motor makes a different tone. So instead of just having it go through the process of turning off, you know, turning on little servo one, two, three, four in order just shake off the dirt they did it in random order depending on the tone so now not only is it shaking the dirt off of itself it's doing it to the sound of happy birthday mm-hmm. it's singing itself wow. its birthday every year and there's a recording of it if you, you can listen to it online i'm sure you can find it it's hysterical yeah i i've heard that i, I actually <laughs> asked them if perseverance does the same thing when i did this mm-hmm. live stream and she said actually it requires a lot of programming to get to get them to do that and she didn't think that they were going to put that effort into perseverance so i don't think percy sings herself her birthday song but she's got you know sherlock and she had the stickers of the rover family which i immediately Mm -hmm. had to go find for my car and um oh there's something else that was on her and i can't think of it but anyway my point is that there are so many little easter eggs homages hidden in these spacecrafts on top of their their symbolic names and uh perseverance though is a great example to bring up about kind of a new naming ritual that has been happening a lot and benjamin you brought that up earlier 
about how often kids. Oh, yeah. Uh, NASA uh, obviously named name a lot of their missions, crewed missions, satellite missions, and such landers, however they see fit. But NASA is also very well that they're a very public-facing organization, and they want to uh, bring uh, people into NASA, get them involved. And what better way to do it than reaching out to schools and get kids involved? And so they have had uh, several times they've had uh, contests announced to the nation, um, you know, specifically to schools. Like, we're going to send a rover to Mars. What are we going to name it? We're going to make a new shuttle. What are we going to name it? We're going to do this. What are we going to name it? And so kids are the ones who named Pathfinder and kids are the ones who named Sojourner. And the the backup the, the the runner up names for Sojourner were Sacagawea and Harriet Tubman and Marie Curie and Amelia Earhart. These are some really really wow good names that kids voted on. And Spirit and Opportunity were uh, named by a nine year old girl. And she entered. Wow. She wrote a, she wrote a nice little poem or something like that about when she was young. She escaped Europe and moved here, and she had the spirit and she was given the spirit and opportunity by coming here and learning and blah blah, blah. and they're like that's it that's oh, so you I know, I'm like you kid getting teary just listening <laughs> to amazing. you we should, yeah we and should the like funny thing is NASA time. brings the kids into to, the NASA actually brings the kids to NASA if they yeah. if their school wins or if that little girl won and they say here welcome this is I'd yeah. like you to meet the thing you named they're very, very good wow. at that public outreach type stuff. It's great. Stuff. They're good. And sometimes I'm going to say too, they accidentally um, <laughs> hit the ball out of the park, so to speak. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking of perseverance because I like, I remember that naming ceremony extremely vividly. And here's why I was going to school for chemistry at that time. And I had actually shot an email to my professor and I said, hey, sorry, I'm going to be running a few minutes late because they're announcing the name of the Mars 2020 rover. And I just want to watch this and I'll be maybe like 10 whatever minutes late. And um, Alex Mather was the kid who won that. And he had this, yeah, just a beautiful short piece that he wrote. And he said, spirit, opportunity, all these are great qualities. I'm not going to cry. Um, But, you know, the one thing that we're missing is perseverance. And so then I went to class. And I did not know at that time that that would be the last in-person class I would have before mm-hmm. COVID. And that was that was the last in-person class I had. And then everything just started shutting down. And to me, there's so, it, it I don't know, there's something so significant to me about that, that, you know, the word, the name Perseverance was that rover. And we went through a global pandemic after that was named. And they still, that JPL still persevered and they got that rover up there despite all the, you know, if you can remember and come back in time with us to that warped time zone of 2020 when, yes, whenever, and when it was like, at least in my state, there was like a a news conference being done every day. And it felt like, oh my Mm. gosh, is this like, is this the end of the world? Like what is happening? It was kind of a scary time. So the name Perseverance really just really stuck with me because it was like, wow, like, what a fitting name for this time. And it's not that they did that on purpose. They didn't choose that on purpose. But I think, like, to me, at least, there's a hidden layer in the name for Perseverance. But No, I was, I was just going to say, it's so, it's so impressive that we can actually get these incredibly meaningful names, kind of, you know, fr- fr- from, the, from the, the mouths of babes, as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, these just highly meaningful things. And yet, when we try to 
do like crowdsourcing for a name for a boat, we end up with Boaty McBoaterson. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <Boaty McBoaterson. laughs> it's adults that are the problem. The children are mature. <laughs> right. I was going to say, and of course, the big, the big one, the big symbolic meaning one is obviously the golden records on the Voyagers. And like speaking of from the mouth of babes, one of the very few English words spoken on that is Carl Sagan's son just saying hello from the children of planet Earth. God dang, yep. guys, I did not want to cry this episode. Um, that, that, you know, if you want to talk about symbolism, that record has. God damn it, you guys. <laughs> Quick, change the subject. It also has nudes. It has nudes of humans. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I need to move on. So we have um, Apollo and Artemis. Mm -hmm. And of course, Artemis was just a brilliant, logical name after Apollo to name the next mission to the moon for, again, many nuanced reasons. Also being that we're going to send a woman to the moon, mm -hmm. which no woman has ever walked on the moon. So... Artemis is the goddess of the hunt and the moon. And so that obviously made a lot of sense. And um, shout out to my good friend, Tim Gagnon, who makes these amazing patches. And he made like wow. the coolest Artemis patch of her mm -hmm. pointing her arrow to, you know, outward away from the moon, because that's the idea is that the moon sure. is this return to the moon is going to get us to Mars. Actually, you know what? This makes me think of the names though, for pathway and, Gate or gateway, I'm sorry. Those aren't very romantic, are they? A lot of the NASA names don't start off very romantic and they get changed as okay. uh, people like Voyager was originally called the Mariner Jupiter Saturn mission because ah, uh, right. the Mariner mission the Mariner program was already underway when they started cooking up Voyager and Voyager was gonna be like a phase two of Mariner. So they just called it Mariner Jupiter Saturn mission and they realized it's going to be doing a lot more than just Jupiter Saturn. So, and it's going to go someplace where nothing has gone before. So they changed it to Voyager and they changed the name of the mission itself to the grand yeah. tour. I mean, so, I mean, everything starts off with goofy little names, the pioneer mission. Wow. What a great mission pioneer that was first called the galactic Jupiter probe. And <laughs> it's not really galactic. And <laughs> it's not I feel really like probe. probe. In anything probably should not be there. I'm just, I, I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there. But I mean, do you think though it will be uh, too outside of their caliber though? Because, you know, we're going back to Uranus with a probe and like the internet has exploded already with the jokes. Do you think maybe they will go with that? <laughs> Every single time I share an article on Science Actually about Uranus, those trend so much better <laughs> than almost every other article because of the jokes and mm. the potty mouths come out and it's great because it's mm. funny yeah we're <laughs> we're looking just... at all of you out there we know <laughs> not me no i don't I, know. i'm the mature one i actually have <laughs> a it's original name george <laughs> george yes we should we're named for king george That's i actually good. have a great um naming thing that's like I, I don't know how this got passed, but the um the Swift Observatory, uh, you guys know yeah. the Swift uh, uh, satellite uh, orbiting observatory. So it's designed to like detect you know X-ray bursts and gamma ray bursts, and so there's a, a an instrument on Swift called the BAT, the Burst Alert Telescope. Well, that's just fantastic. And, okay, and it's and it's wonderful, but 
there's a specific um, kind of like code pipeline to let all the astronomers know whenever there's a gamma ray burst that's picked up from the bat. I know where this is going. I'm loving this. And it's called guano. Urgent archiver for novel opportunities. Oh my so, god. Okay, the yeah, signal. there's gonna be the Uranus probe joke. There's gonna totally be there's gonna be butt jokes, aren't there? Absolutely. It's happening. If we can talk it's about that guano we can talk about. <laughs> <laughs> All right. How is this uh this is another episode. We're wrapping this up on uh, our Apollo <laughs> one ended up with poop on the moon. Now we're ending it with bat poop. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sensing a theme here. I I don't know exactly what this means, but uh, you if you've listened to the whole thing and you got to this point, you're in this with us. You are just as guilty as you're us now, on the man. other side of the Let's microphone. <laughs> We're gonna wrap this up. This was really fun. I really um, I I this was really fun. I enjoyed this episode a lot, you guys. Uh, so I hope that our listeners did as well. As a reminder, as always, you can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, blah 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 blah. Space K Sarah. You can find these guys as science actually actually science. That is Benjamin's uh, Psycom channel and fun facts fun fact science with Kavi on all the social media channels. And then of mm-hmm. course you can follow IROC Space Radio on all the social media channels. And we love hanging out and doing this for you. And we also, we really want to have you join in the conversation virtually, both after we air and also hopefully very soon, perhaps an after hours live stream where Benjamin will indeed have whiskey. And Kavi has also said he will drink randomly in the middle of the day. So (laughs) you have been promised. I need to look up some whiskey science, but this is going to be great. I might just uh, sit back and let you guys go. I'll be like, every time whoever loses the return has to take a shot. You should quiz us on science stuff. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Drunken science quiz. That's a great idea. Oh, my God. I love drunk history. So that would be actually kind of amazing. So, (laughs) all right. We got to wrap it up. Thank you for listening. You have been listening to the Space Case Sarah Show with Space Nerds Kavi and Benjamin here on iRock Space Radio. You've been listening to the Space Case Sarah Show with the Space Nerds Kavi and Benjamin, a production of iRock Space Radio. Go to iRockSpaceRadio.com for more.